welcome to another edition of the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. I'm your host, Peter, and I am still here. And tonight, it is my pleasure to give you part two of my discussion with Jack from Soft Riot in celebration of the new record entitled simply No Period. Is it just me, or does this album have a hint of early Skinny Puppy interwoven through its DNA? Uh, I hate to do that to Jack. I hate to do that to any band, but, you know, every time I listen to it, I get something new out of this record, and I think that speaks to the quality of the work. If I may, I'd like to quickly thank Tim and Sweet Cheetah, and Tiana and Word for Word Interpretation for helping to keep the lights on and the show afloat. Everyone else as well, all of my listeners. Uh, if you really want to support me, I mean, you can donate money, you can do all that fun stuff, and, you know, it's welcome, but it it's not what I prefer. But what I prefer is you like, rate, subscribe, uh, listen wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, give me a shout for... Uh, Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, share my stuff, let your friends know that you dig the show, and it will help our existence tremendously. On with the show. As I said, this is part two. Jack and I sat for a good long, long while and really just felt each other out and had a great time, and I think that's reflected in the quality of this conversation. Without further ado, I give to you, Jack, Soft Riot, on the book of Very, Very Bad Things, podcast. This episode of the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast has been brought to you by our sponsors at Sweet Cheetah Publicity. Sweet Cheetah is a PR collective that values people over profit. They put a different spin on public relations by working primarily with friends and using all profits to aid charitable organizations. With a roster that includes Jawbox, The New Amsterdam's, Brainiac, Get Some, Funeral Date, Damien Dunn, and many more artists, record labels, and podcasts. Sweet Cheetah! That's a great PR cohort. You can find them on social media by simply searching Sweet Cheetah PR, and they'll be there. He's been Tim, I've been Peter, and Sweet Cheetah has been beautiful. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, like, as I was going back to, like, the sort of internet genres... And people getting, you can like, you know, for instance, like minimal synth, that wasn't a thing until like the mid 2000s when like probably obviously some like Veronica Vasca minimal wave kind of maybe was partly responsible for coining the term. But, but prior to that, like I'd even met some of these people that play in bands in the 80s from that time period, like that would be considered minimal synth. And like there wasn't even a fucking thing. It was yeah. just like, 
We were people that like synth music but couldn't afford the fucking expensive 30 grand fucking Fairlight. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were just like, their synths were like maybe two or three years old or they like bought a kit. They probably had a four track or a tiny studio. It's not like they were like, we're going to make this minimal synth aesthetic. They were just trying to write. I only have a task Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They only had like a synth pop and their friend has like a reel to reel and that's how they recorded it. So there wasn't even a genre, but you know, 20 years or 30 years removed from that, they're looking back on it and like, oh, I'm seeing how these bands sound kind of similar, but they weren't, they weren't connected in any way whatsoever. Hmm. So in, in taking that into consideration, in the future, there could quite conceivably be something like uh, what one would call like Fostex core, where it's like just so minimalistic that like it could only be pulled off if you have a Fostex cassette for Those things have massive resale value. I, I own two of them. I, I have a, a friend that moved from Bradford in the UK to Victoria a couple years ago, and he's telling me that he sold his, I think it was a Tascam for like 900 quid yeah. to some younger guy that was trying to really get that sort of lo-fi sort of aesthetic. And I, I found a Yamaha four-track recorder in a fucking recycling bin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I haven't fixed it yet. It's the tape heads broken on. I have a friend here that's a bit of a whiz with that sort of stuff. So I might get it fixed at some point, but yeah. Well, that that, that was always the boon for me because I know how to fix that sort of thing. Oh, that's been that's very handy. To have. Yeah. But, um, you know, conceivably, all that is old becomes new again. But mm -hmm. what I find really fascinating about your trajectory specifically is it's not necessarily you taking something that is old and making it new again. You're taking what is you and making it known now. And that's, I think that's like the prescient point here. There's no real like uh, hearkening back. Other I, think, than I think it's partially too. Like I've been doing music with that general aesthetic since the late 90s which is two and a half times longer in the decade that everybody references yeah to uh, i kind of take aesthetics and stuff i like and use that as a vehicle for my own ideas and like second i mean where was i going with this <laughs> i think i had this all mapped out of my head i was gonna go with it but i think it's also too i take inspiration from like tons of other stuff that's not music like like sometimes it's like, especially when I do the more ambient stuff, a lot of it's just like concepts, like yeah. math or, or what happens if I do this melody for two minutes and then do the same melody for two minutes a minute later? You know, it's just like weird stuff like that. Or like, what happens if I get this, these two unrelated chords and then that's the transition verse and I have to find what's called the pivot point, which is like the common note between them. I get into weird shit like that. I mean, well, my, my sort of musical theory and notation is pretty much limited to what I was executing in concert band in grade 10 or <laughs> grade eight and nine, but it still sticks with you. I know someone says, oh, play like an A diminished. I'll know what the fuck mm -hmm. that is, right? Whereas yep. <laughs> a depleted fifth or whatever but, yeah, but yeah. the way you're approaching it is very dada you know you're you're painting right now at this point oh yeah with, that's with actually notes. a good thing because i i think that a lot it's like there's a lot of counterpoint 
when I'm writing, like I'll be like, this is kind of, this, this is going to sound like hippy dippy, but this tone's kind of like purple over here. I, I, let's, so, let's I, go I, like I air, so I get it. Let's do this airy pastel sound in this gap that's more of a square wave to complement that. I do a lot of stuff like that. Well, like, that, that's called synesthesia. You realize that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, just I mean, like I, the, I, just I, like I was just those descriptors as an example. I don't necessarily think that, but right. taking the art analogy there, it's just like, it's like kind of constructing a piece of art rather than like writing music. I mean, I do miss playing in bands, like obviously working solo for so long. There's pros and cons to that. Like I, I've actually, I have periods where I'm like, I'm just dying to get into a rehearsal space and just fucking bash shit out at top volume and everybody's contributing ideas and it's like this democratic thing but um but i also like with this project yeah like this that this particular mindset of like constructing something is kind of what i used to execute how i write so it's almost like power electronics in that way uh you, you, it's uh, like collage based but but only in insofar as like the idea or, or the impetus behind the song itself, that's where the collage takes place, you know, mm -hmm. in, in the interior, and then you execute. You know, it's, it's an interesting end product for me. And, and I can almost sort of take that journey with you uh, where, where this is concerned, this record is concerned, because it, it, it feels very much like uh, a fever dream in a way. Yeah, and I was like, there's other stuff in there. Like, I purposefully reuse lyrics and Kubrickian again, and like little phrases of the music. For me, it's kind of like a little chuckle when I'm writing. No one's gonna fucking pick this shit. <laughs> no, but the callbacks, <laughs> the, the callbacks are kind of what makes it creepy. Like, yeah, yeah, like. Kubrick. Like deja vu, like where have I fucking yeah. heard that before? Oh, that was in the last song, dude. <laughs> like, like when you keep That's seeing why you not recognizing it. <laughs> when you keep seeing the baking powder in the background of The Shining when they're in the kitchen, you know, like no matter where you look, there's that can, that Indian head can of of, yeah. of, of baking powder. They're, like these callbacks make it familiar yet alien, and that duality is, I think, what you harness very well here. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously there's like a lot of writing. What's that Marshall McLuhan and all those kind of Wilson Brian Key, like about this yeah. subliminal advertising. I haven't read that stuff in years, but I mean, maybe there's a bit of that in there with not yeah. necessarily trying to manipulate a listener. It's it, just there. It's, it's like it's there for like less sinister reasons, far less. It's just me just having a laugh. Well, it's an in joke rather than oh yeah, it's an totally intentional. my own private in joke with myself. <laughs> <laughs> so like what's what you you said that like you know you you've already written for or actually know where the next record is headed what do you think how would you what would the descriptor be for that next step well i've always been trying to write like a more minimal record but i i don't mean like minimal as in a genre i mean minimal as in like less going on but every the last couple records i start trying to do it and then i chicken out for some reason and i'm just like oh, i can't do it now i think it's i think 
part of it is like with electronic music, it's very easy for minimal compositions to sound very clinical. Yeah. And I, I don't want that. So I've kind of been thinking of techniques I can do that I can allow doing minimal composition without it sounding sterile and not necessarily relying on tons of effects either. So I might try stuff with like amping and stuff like that, getting some ambiance going somewhere. Yeah. But it's also too, from a logistical standpoint, I kind of want a slightly less to do on stage. There's some songs and some of the records where I it's like, I could play that one song, but it's like a fucking pain in the ass. <laughs> it's like, it's like, like your hands are moving around like this and like it, it keeps changing all the time. It's like, I want to like maybe pull back the sort of like circus routine a bit and maybe um, allow myself a little bit of fun to move around a bit more. And there's a little bit of like looseness. Yeah, because the more involved it gets and the more epic and, and mathy things can become, uh, we understand what mathy means. To the listener, math rock from mm-hmm. <laughs> anyone from Dillinger Escape Plan to Don Caballero. Um, to go to, to kind of like eliminate that a little bit, draw back and allow. I, I don't mean it in a way like I'm going to dumb it down or like. No, no, give it like, room to breathe. I know it's hard to explain. I know where it is in my brain and I know kind of sounds I want to try. It's just like a little bit of like. There's something a little bit more to latch onto, and I, as I say, I can kind of free to not be feeling like I'm like trying to like launch a fucking satellite in space every time I play a song, you know? <laughs> yeah, just get get out of your own way a little bit. Really. Yeah, exactly. So then, just like because like previous records, I'll start at minimal, and it's like, oh, I'm just gonna add this, this here, and this, and this here, and like until it gets quite rather dense, even though the music is still at some degree minimal. But I think. Yeah, just a little less going on. And maybe yeah. maybe making the tempo slightly slower. <laughs> and just like, I kind of want songs that even go like maybe like 100 to 110 BPM because sometimes that's kind of a cool kind of stompy kind of feeling. Yeah. Because a lot of people, you know, minimal synths like 140, 150 and EBM, it kind of is like between 114 and 120. So maybe like, Maybe some, some songs that are it's slightly slower, but have actually still retain the sort of uh, energy and the power a bit. The hardcore breakdown of it all. Yeah, I'm going to get a China symbol and start. <laughs> and one of those piccolo snares that was all the rage. At the oh, time. snap case piccolo yeah. snare. <laughs> <laughs> I remember like that was like a massive trend back then. Even oh. like local bands like, I got a piccolo snare. It's like, fucking hell, man. <laughs> yeah, like the snare has no bottom. It's just. <laughs> There's a lot of that. Yeah, the China was quite popular. I'm trying to remember other tropes of the time, but nothing's really coming to mind right now. The, the thing, I think when I mentioned Snapcase, though, I, I'm not, not to demean them because I think they did it really, really well. I actually quite like them when they came I, out. Yes. All that kind of like. New York, sort of like I forget what label they were on. Was it Victory? Victory. Victory. It was one of the one of the the big majors of hardcore. Victory, yeah. Revolution, etc. 
yeah, yeah. The, I, I thought that record was cool especially the, like the use of harmonics and some of the guitar stuff was quite interesting especially that second record um the first one was you know very much a krishna core record but the second one when they got into the pinch harmonics and you mm -hmm. know no, like the, they, they got less tough guy and a lot more uh they were had such style like you when the band turnstile now is very much a callback to snapcase and snapcase was a very big callback to quickness era bad brains yeah uh, yeah th they had that same bounce but snapcase they but the the harmonics and the piccolo snare and the riding that that china um they became almost a a, a a stylistic revolution within the confines of what had been ruled primarily by thrashy and stompy new york hardcore you yeah, know i mean there's a few artists pushing the envelope i mean probably in the west coast it might have been like a band like unbroken or something Un unbroken yes yeah because they uh, were like still within but they're kind of playing on that sort of more confessional emotional sort of subject matter and dead guy and rorschach were yeah i remember like, rorschach they were they were a big um they were phenomenal and a big part of that shift too but mm -hmm. um had that sort of thing not occurred radio berlin would not have occurred because well like the one of guitar some rorschach was that was in that band beautiful skin on gsl and that was a completely yes. band. like kind of like wire cabaret mm -hmm. voltaire kind of stuff very much so very much so yeah. and and incidentally a gateway drug for a lot of people in our scene into yeah. things that they like i had already been into but they wouldn't necessarily have dipped I think their probably feet a lot of people like there was a lot of hardcore bands like you know swing kids did cover warsaw yeah angel hair did a cover stigmata martyr and that's arguably yes. how i got into Bauhaus. to be honest really yeah I mean, I knew about who they were before, but then I was kind of like, obviously, these guys are worth listening to because Angel Hair has covered them. <laughs> well, Angel Hair was one of those, like, they were cult, like, gods, almost. Angel yeah, yeah, Hair yeah. was, like, uh, Swing Kids definitely were, Unbroken definitely were. Um, it, it, it's funny to me how these bands that we thought were revolutionary, and they truly were, we're really calling back to bands that in their own eras were largely forgotten. Oh yeah, of course. Like, I mean, probably a lot of cult touch points for these bands were like the fact that people that generation grew up with a punk B metal and C like, you know, bands like the cure and killing joke and all that stuff. So yeah. it was, you know, you're getting your teens and in this sort of contemporary scene and you know you might want to explore a bit so you're like oh i like i know speaking of my angel hair like i know sonny is a massive echo and the bunnyman fan i know this because mm -hmm. he contacted me 10 years ago he's like jack i need you to do a favor for me no, <laughs> it's like i need you to buy this rare will sergeant seven inch because they won't ship to the u.s <laughs> i was like okay i'll sort that out for you so you know what though, uh, if if you really think about it, these these tastes that seem so very disparate work so well together, mm -hmm. and and that's why our thing constantly shifts 
but self-perpetuates and, and still pays tribute to its roots because it's still, it, it, it moves forward in a very loving and, and, and almost familial way. Of course, yeah. You know, and, and that's why I've never like fully like at, I'm pushing 50. Mm -hmm. I still, I, I have no misgivings about saying I'm a hardcore kid. That's where I'm from. That's culturally what I am. And that is emotionally something I will never slough off because... No, me neither. I mean, I still feel the same way a bit. Obviously, as we've touched on earlier in this conversation, like being in the UK, there isn't really that. However, having said that, in Glasgow, there's I think a kind of a younger generation that's taking cue from these sort of bands. So even though my sort of ties to that scene out there, I kind of get the little window as to what's happening with that scene locally. Because I like any like I've seen a lot of interesting kind of hardcore bands of kids that might be 10, maybe 15 years younger than me. And it's kind of interesting to see where they're taking it, really. I mean, yeah. And then, and then you like even when I was I was living in Sheffield briefly for two years, and there was like a venue there called the Lug Hole, and I went to a number of shows there. It was like punk bands, local punk bands. It's like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like, I mean, I'm not like so attached to that anymore because the music I'm doing is different. But it's it's nice and refreshing to go and see what people are doing with the genre that I grew up with. So, yeah. yeah. And when you really think about it, too, uh, who I was 30 years ago in the mm -hmm. confines of the punk scene, uh, I was very, uh, <laughs> I hate to say this, but very much gatekeepy and uh, dogmatic in, in my love for the thing. Mm -hmm. and, and even bands getting signed to major record labels, we almost wrote them off, right? Oh, yeah. That was oh, like such a big thing back then. You sold like, out. It, sick of it all got a pass because they were like godfathers. Mm -hmm. Same with Agnostic Front being on Columbia Records. But, but they're Agnostic Front. Uh, but now, unless you're one of those old heads who like, you know, just lost themselves to uh, uh, the drink or what have you, Mm -hmm. um, bands like Turnstile come up and they're huge and they're like almost platinum selling and you're like fuck yeah there's a, yeah, hardcore, yeah. There's a hardcore band that is like a top 40 band yes there's a lot of weird records like from that time like obviously not I won't say that this record's particularly weird but like you know picking up a band like Quicksand you know Quick, like uh, oh oh I oh. just took it down slip, <laughs> slips right behind me over here it somewhere slipped off your shelf <laughs> yeah it did <laughs> But I think that there was, a, but there's also a lot of weird random signings. I think for me, the weirdest signing of the '90s, and I mean it's a good way, is that Pony Express record by Shudder oh, to Think. Shudder to Think, were um, fucking. I, I love that record, and you yes, listen yes. to it, and it's like, like it's just like the, the, it's such a weird record, like on Epic. They're slipping. Oh, there you go. Um, but but yeah, Shudder to Think. What was so incredible about them was they were, you know, Revolution Summer Discord band, but very progressive and almost loungy, and and they had a swagger and style, mm -hmm. like they like they were the precursor to like when the guys from Gorilla Biscuits 
became the band Civ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw Civ at Warp Tour. Like, yeah, that. yeah, the first Warp Tour. <laughs> I and wasn't there to see them. I was actually there to see Quicksand and Seaweed. But yeah, Seaweed. It, fuck. By yes. proxy. Oh. Yeah. But you, you know what I mean? Like, they, they made it cool to be like well dressed and a little mod again, yeah, like Paul Weller mock like, too. Yeah, yeah, totally for sure. But like that, yeah, that Cheddar Think record is just like, especially that hit liquor, the last verse when they cut out an eighth note on each repetition is like, yeah. you're like, like, what the? <laughs> you fucking band geeks, why are you doing this to me? But it, it like, that's that's what made it such an open playing field for creativity. Oh yeah, um, for sure. Um, for as dogmatic as I had just said, it could be within the confines of that scene. You give it nineteen ninety five, ninety six, and it became very open minded, and you know a hotbed of of bands like Hum, Quicksand, Seaweed, uh, Jawbox, mm-hmm. uh, and it just. It, it, it made so much sense to me what Radio Berlin was in that time period and, and your progression going forward with Soft Riot and, and to where you are now. Um, maybe to someone who isn't really schooled and, and that music history doesn't, maybe they wouldn't get that. Well, it's kind of weird because, like, I mean, nowadays, the music scene I kind of interact with is this sort of European underground synth scene, and there's a lot of familiarity with how it all functional functions and the sort of the sort of how everyone's connected. That reminds me of this scene I grew up with in the '90s, except it's like obviously younger kids. Um, well, there's a lot of people that are older in it. Like, I, like, I mean, I've gone to some festivals or play festivals, and there's people that are well in their 60s that are out still doing, like, just stoked to see some music. But there's a, a lot of familiarity with how things function in terms of, oh, you want to play this city? Talk to this guy. Or, you know, like, he does this night. Or similar to back then, you know, like, everybody kind of got their contacts off people they knew. So there is... Yeah it's kind of refreshing that that still exists. I mean, it obviously with punk, it still exists for sure. I mean, yeah. that will, I think that's just like, once that got rolling, it'll never stop. But you know, it just the fact that I'm doing more electronic music and that sort of DIY sort of like interconnectivity still there. <clears throat> yeah. The connective tissue still exists. Exactly. Um, for sure. So like in, in, you know, kind of like, confluence to all of that what's moving the needle for you musically right now i mean like what am i listening to yeah what are you listening to what 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 do you think what do you find inspiring it changes like like i always some people are like what are your favorite records and i'm like oh that changes every day like i get like fixated on weird little things like lately i've been listened i bought like i, I try to make a point of going to like buy records locally like maybe once a month or so like there's a good record store here called mono i bought john fox and the mass record which which is his late one of his newer projects and i also bought a a double 12 inch of anoya morocone's like giallo soundtrack oh i have that i have the exact one you're talking about yes I and i was like oh, this will be nice music to read to and it's like dung, 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 dung. yes <laughs> 
I'm feeling like really tense. That was a record store day release. I have it. Yeah. Then like I like I actually listen to tons of sort of more ambient music. And if only for the reason that like I kind of put on when I'm going to sleep. So if 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 you, if you know if I tracked what music I was listening to all the time, it'd probably be like six hours of like like just like you know like tangerine or something you know, like uh, steve roach or something like I that lo i love steve Ro i know steve roach i love you steve did? roach yes wow. the pro um i was on the street team for project records okay the, right right the band lycia um mike and tara are two of my best friends in the entire world okay lycia is one of my all-time favorite bands in my top 10 mm -hmm. um there's they really harnessed a moment steve roach did uh uh, Pat from Thanatos, like that, that, that whole group of people who were on project records back then, mm -hmm. very creative, very not goth for having been associated with the goth scene or the dark mm -hmm. wave scene, mm -hmm. almost, uh, a post-punk psychedelia was going on there. And Steve Roach was very good at that. Like yeah, incredibly like, good at that. Stuff, like, it's just like this sort of like like i was looking the other night it's like the cyclical churning of sounds yeah and yeah. like it's it's melodic but completely atonal at the same time especially like when when like steve had vidna uh, vidna uh vidna abmana i okay. I, feel, I feel terrible that i I've, i'd forgotten how to pronounce mm. that but like he went from that to doing it under his own name and mm -hmm. you know this is a classically trained musician who decided to go for more if not atonal certainly freeform tones and and churning and and almost power electronics or just thinking about i just laughing there because i thought about steve roach the radio edit <laughs> How can we cut the song? It's like an hour and a half down to three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> What's the catchy bit? Where's the chorus? <laughs> we got to grab the listener right away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we need it. There's got to be a hook to this. Yeah. <laughs> it's just this shit for an hour and a half? What are you talking about? <laughs> Greatest hits on Columbia Records. It's a single, yeah. and it's, it's two, like ten, two minutes and ten yeah. seconds. Yeah, yeah. Greatest hits, like 12 CDs, one song per CD. It's <laughs> like a, a lust mord greatest hits. No, God. Yeah, I always thought about that. I, I think I've, I probably had this joke with someone before. <laughs> like, actually, well, actually, some other stuff. I really like uh, another stuff I would listen to. It's like uh, a lot of the solo stuff by Bruce Gilbert from the early 80s, like that, like, uh, the Shining Man, and what's the one that was before that? Looks like You Work For Me, I Work for, I forget the name of that track. I used to love that track in like my early 20s. Like So like this weird sort of like sound collage kind of drone stuff. Well, I, I think after Wire originally broke up, they were just like, fuck this, we're going to do like Bruce Gilbert and Graham Lewis were like, just, just make some weird shit. <laughs> that is, it's very inspiring to me that because i in the early 90s uh, while i was making music and hardcore bands mm -hmm. i was also doing power electronics and i still yeah. do and I, I i love that 
it can be it's the most draining music to make on a on a on a psychic level because i can imagine yeah just like especially just having to go back and listen to stuff like objectively from a technical viewpoint like i think i need a little more 20 hertz in that yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if I needed that much bo uh, boss metal zone pedal on the microphone while I was yeah. going, <laughs> but I, I find it so uh, incredibly cathartic to make mm -hmm. uh, in the moment. It is incredibly cathartic, but also uh, by the time you're done, it's usually around like nine thirty, ten o'clock the next morning. And you're covered in this like sheen of, of night sweat because you haven't slept yet. And you're on your umpteenth cup of coffee and, and you're on your Fostex and, and you're done pausing and record, pause, record. And the tape's probably stretched out this far and you couldn't recreate it if you wanted to had it not been on a cassette. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, you, you get into this zone that no narcotic could possibly double for you yeah, well music if once when you're on a roll with it you the time just explodes i've yeah. done that before We're like oh, i'm just gonna you know mess around for like an hour next thing i was like six hours later you're like what the fuck but you like just like you're like you snowball with that idea regardless of what genre of music you're doing you're like oh oh now i know where to take this and you're gonna like no i suddenly have written an album what the hell you know <laughs> i mean like for me like some songs come some of them come super fast like i mean like, fuck has done that in like two days three days but some of them i'll get up to a certain point and then i have this impasse moment that is usually broken by something totally unrelated like like looking at a sign <laughs> g and j carpets fuck that's how i take this on <laughs> but yeah usually 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 these things are broken by like uh by something that's completely unrelated or i might be like some or some other media triggers it like i might be watching a movie or something and i'm like there might be some mood or tone within that film or maybe a sound effect or like maybe even some of the soundtrack even though it might be totally stylistically different i'll be like that's a fucking, that's how I'm going to get past this gap in the song. It, to, me, to me, that that sounds like something that, uh, uh, from Naked City, uh, John oh, Zorn. Zorn. Yeah, yeah, John Zorn. What John Zorn would do, you know, because John's, it, like, he would almost pick the exact opposite of what would make sense. But when you listen, uh, what he does is... The personification of, in my opinion, what hard bop jazz would have become had, you know, Coltrane lived and continued or, mm -hmm. or, or Coltrane had he not devolved into what he did, um, mm -hmm. which, uh, not to take away anything from any of them, but, you know, John Zorn was a logical conclusion to that, but to me, it, it seems like that's a big hallmark for you as well. Like taking things to a logical conclusion or no, 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 no. To take things to uh, an extreme that in retrospect seems like the logical conclusion, but in the time 
most people oh, yeah, wouldn't no, get. I've taken some, yeah, some really bizarre some, directions with songs that I would not really think of when I was starting it. Yeah, like not to be on the nose, but like giant steps. Oh, you yeah. Know what I mean, like. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, as I said, like this. They're like this record, like sometimes like I have to really try it if something different. Like there's a fourth track on the record shouldering. That song was stuck. I was like stuck on this idea that it was gonna be one part at the beginning and one part at the end. Like no, you know, songs usually go A, B, C, you know, A verse, A verse, B, chorus, verse A. I was like, I just want one part and it dramatically shifts to this last part. And they're going to connect by the fact that the beginnings, there's the same root note, but the beginning's major and it goes to a minor chord thing. The, la- the second half came really fast. And then the first half of the song, I was just fucking couldn't figure it out for months. <laughs> that, it, but that, I wanted to be more, like, like, less structured, but it just, like, sounded like a, like, was, like, kind of, like, swimming in, like, fucking quicksand. <laughs> Like this ain't working. That's what I dig though, because it's not Beach Boys pop. As much as I love the Beach Boys, Uh, great band for sure. That's crazy studio techniques on those. I was actually reading about that Carol Kay, that bass player. She did all the hit songs with them. She banged out apparently thousands of tracks. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But but your approach was never. Like okay, here's there's got here's the hook, here's the you know the structure. To me, it always seemed like you were actually like the cartographer of a different path to maybe maybe the same end as something that like a pop songwriter would do. Yeah, for sure. Like I mean, I like like everybody else. Like I like listening to a lot of pop music, but my I always feel kind of dirty when I try to emulate how people think they need to write a pop song to get like, you know, it's like, I want to write a hit. Well, that's, that's why like you're more shudder to think unless Jimmy world and not to take anything away from Clary, no, I know that. Jimmy no, world. Sense. But like, that's why that's why you didn't arrive at that sort of point where you're just making like sugary indie rock that that girls can wring their panties out to it, it had more to do with like the guy in the corner who was trying to make one plus one equals six you know what i mean like it was well, yeah like person. i mean for music me there's always been like that for me it's always been like a sort of a creative sort of educational experience where you're learning new ideas not only from yourself but also those you interact with yeah like a lot of probably what i do now even on my own is probably informed by a lot of people i've interacted with musically and have had like conversations with and you know like kind of you know, you're talking about these nuances in music. Like, you know, this obviously these kind of conversations come quite a bit when you're in a band and kind of practically executing these ideas because then you get an I like a sense of where your bandmates coming from. Yeah. Obviously, and you know, I still get these. I still have a l- lot of conversations here with friends in Glasgow where we can go down some interesting wormholes with like details about music or theory of like pop or experimental music that's 
takes a different angle and is entertaining to talk about, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. But but to me, there was never a point with uh, your musical career that smacked of stagnation or or pandering. No, um, I'm I'm super lucky in that way. Like, you know, maybe I haven't had really that kind of success with it but i think always whenever i just think back to it's like at least i'm fucking still got some ideas i'm really excited to try out and i'm not i'm not in a situation where i'm like well my mortgage is up next month so uh you know time to turn out this time to write that hit record number two yeah it's like i mean when i was a teenager i knew probably because the music i was listening to was so fucking noisy i never really considered like music as a career that's why i got into graphic design and um you know like as i said i'm just still like wow i'm still coming up with ideas and i can't stop so obviously there's something going on there and just keep pushing it even if it's a scale of back to some degree when i'm older and i'm not really interested in like slogging it out and like people's floors i'll still be doing music in some way so but the thing, the thing that I, I think I want, the point I want to paint to anyone listening who may not have come from the same scene that we did, yeah. uh, the, the fact that, uh, you know, we, we go out and we make these records that may seem intentionally non-marketable is not self-flagellation or self-defeating. It, it has more to do with... I don't, I, never, I don't see it that way at all, for no, sure. No, we're seeking, right? We're trying to find... We're, we're trying to find something. We're trying to express something that's inexpressible, that is, that's intangible, yet fully... You know, it's there. It, it's in front mm-hmm. of us. We can't slough it off. So we have to put it some fucking where. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of like really the point of soft right is like, where am I going to put this? If I don't put it here for you to listen to, for someone else to hear so I could communicate. So I could have some conduit to kind of get this out of here and out there. No, so exactly. It's- and it, it's like, it's like, you know, it's more common musical aspects like emotion, but it's also like ideas and thought processes like, and just, you know, bringing in a lot of different elements and then, you know, kind of fashioning into a song. Some of them are more, quote unquote, pop than others. But, you know, yeah, it's, it's just, it comes to, I think it was like that movie, inst- that documentary instrument, Fugazi. And, they're, you yeah. know, when they're interviewing all the people and they're like, I like Fugazi because they're easy to moss to or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's a one guy that's like, it's about, you know, music and ideas, and that's kind of that kind of hits the nail on the head a little bit of where I'm coming with it. So, well, it's to me, it's it's also a celebration of of the act of realizing ideas. Oh yeah, yeah. that's a good yeah. way of putting it. I actually like that, and 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 that's how I felt about Radio Berlin. That's how I definitely feel about this. This new record, though, specifically, really, I think, cuts through a different cloth, bearing that in mind, because thematically, it's not as intentional, but it's certainly more biting. No, I think that's 
a good way of putting it. It's kind of interesting because when you're in a solo artist, it's often easy to just be in such an internal self-facilitating creative bubble that you're not getting any out, outside sort of, sort of um, observations about what you're doing. So it's interesting hearing come from you and people that I know. It's like You this didn't get up your own ass. You didn't <laughs> get up your own ass. And yeah. I think that's a big fucking deal. When yeah, you're yeah. in something as insular mm -hmm. as a, a quote-unquote solo project. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's very easy to, you know, kind of go in a, like a, like a sort of a psychic vortex or whatever you call it, you know, like, it's just like, I've, you know, I made my own little world and blah, blah, blah. There, I mean, there obviously is that with what I'm doing, but you know. Yeah, but it, I don't, but it, I don't. I'm also very aware of, of a feeling of like, like connection with other people as well. So I wanted to connect with people despite its weirdness, <laughs> for lack of a better description. <laughs> so I, I think we've come to the part of the show where like I only have one pre-prepared question. I no, no, I was looking at the time. I was like, wow, we fucking blasted through two hours. Because when I got up, wow. I was like, what am I going to say? Like rubbing my eyes. <laughs> We we this is uh, it feels like about forty five minutes to me. Yeah, I know. Um, like, I'm sorry if I'm beating you to death. No, no, it's totally. I've had a fun time. This has been rad. It's been uh, good. And I'm not trying to conclude per se, but I only have one pre prepared question. And if you've listened to any of my shows in their entirety, I always come to this point in the show where I ask this question. I have listened everyone. to a number of the shows, and I think I might know where you're going with this, but I might be completely wrong at the same time. Okay. Um, I ask this because uh, I, I believe the answer to this specific question gives me a, a, a very distinct insight into the psyche of the person I'm speaking to. Mm -hmm. And fear is, in all honesty, the greatest driver of all ego. Mm -hmm. What is it that terrifies you on the most existential level of your being? Um, I think about this a lot. I think it might be this sort of like, you know, we're in a civilization where we connect and have certain ways we interact with each other and civilities and just this whole idea that this could collapse at any time due to um, changes in our environment or war or, you know, like I, I think this probably this whole concept's been exemplified most by like, you know, like zombie movies where like yeah. everything collapses and everybody's suddenly eating each other, you know, taking advantage of each other. I think that thing frightens me the most in the existential levels, this sort of collapse of civility and just regressing to like, like primal selfish nature where people just have no need, want to help out for each other anymore. It's just like, uh, you know, just it's me or you and that's that's what it boils down to i think obviously there's other things but i think for me those might be more personal things about you know like you know like i hope i don't get a debilitating illness or whatever but that's not so much existential that's more personal but that yeah that, i think that's my main fear is just like i think about these things like you know we have this thing where you know we 
you know, supply chains and, you know, we go to shows and stuff and then, you know, we're all can communicate with each other. And then all of a sudden things collapse due to like a massive event. And we're just like, it's like people that maybe are the most greedy and powerful, just kind of take advantage of it. And everybody kind of this whole veneer disappears, I guess. Yeah. Because in, in all honesty, we're really and truly within a hair's breadth of that at all times. Oh yeah, it's always because there. Like that, that midnight clock keeps getting a bit closer, or whatever. So. We're we're children of the Cold War, you and I. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, yeah. we're only we're only like two two and a half years apart. Mm -hmm. um, we grew up with you know right before Glasnost and 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 Gorbachev. There there was always that imminent threat of of nuclear holocaust via Russia, mm -hmm. and and you know movies like Red Dawn being a, a major part of, of the cultural zeitgeist, as it were, until, you know, the angels of Gorbachev's better nature came through and he played ball with that piece of garbage, Reagan. And, and, and you mm -hmm. know, things kind of got cool for a long time. Mm -hmm. but, but, but the resentments were always boiling over a little bit. And, you know, it's, it's not necessarily all on them you know yeah we as the evil empire obviously will eventually reap what we sow and that's a big fear of mine as well because i didn't choose to be born here i'm just here well that's the same case with people in any country like right pretend like there's a common tendency to vilify people in russia but i've been there before i've been there too. Some of the nicest people i've met actually yeah. and, you know and they're not like like sitting there with a big Putin flag or whatever. Mm -mm. Like, like there's like the thing I find with traveling for music is that you find there's a lot of common bonds, regardless of what country you're from and what language you speak. And, you know, so. And, and, and you'll find like 90, 90 to 95% of people all want the same exact thing, which is yeah, fam exactly. families to be okay, to be able to pay their bills and feed everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and like, they kind of get brainwashed by, you know, whatever media and whatever the culture is doing uh, around them at that point. But if you get down to the kernel of what people fear and what people want, it's they don't want ill for the people they love and they don't want to die too young and they, and, and they don't want war. Yeah. I it's, mean, I've yet it's, to find someone that thinks completely the opposite of that. I don't right. even what that person be like. <laughs> no, because we wouldn't associate with them if we found yeah, them no. and identify. We have very them, different right? views, but we're still friends. <laughs> no, no, there, there. I have a very fine line, and and that's where <laughs> exactly. I draw it. Yeah. But having been around the Eastern Bloc, and you know, I went on a soul searching mission in the '90s, where I was going to. I went to Ireland to meet the Irish sides of my family, which both of my parents are half Irish. And I went to Poland to meet the Polish side of my family. My last name is Tansky. I'm obviously Polish. Yeah, I, yeah. I grew up speaking the language. So I, when I'd gotten to Poland specifically and seeing, you know, the wreckage that still existed in Warsaw and, and, and you know, the fear of Russia still in Poland specifically... Mm -hmm. um, in the 90s, it, it still kind of rang true because I still was hanging on to 80s Cold War. Like a lot of those countries kind of 
transformed at the same time. Like I actually read a, uh, an interesting book a couple of years ago about the, uh, it was featured like about eight or 10 stories of different people who had grown up in the uh, East Germany mm-hmm. and like their reflections on their time growing up there. And some of them, people had a more of a favorable memory of it because obviously things were supplied for by the state and you didn't have to worry about a job because everything was just like, you know, you're working here, your food's sort of blah, blah, blah. But then obviously, on the other hand, you have people that had an absolutely horrific time because they were gay or wanted to do something that the state wouldn't allow you to do. Or dare Juden. Yeah, 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 exactly. So like, there's one story about uh, someone that had a, fallen in love with someone in West Germany and it was, they, it was basically sneaking across the border to be with them. Right. Yeah. And then obviously, yeah, 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 exactly. And then obviously with like the, the reunification, like what, like the West Germany went to town and sort of leaned up discount sale, like all the East German kind of corporations and stuff. So a lot of people, I mean, I have like two friends of mine, um, they're married. One of them's from East Germany, and his husband is from uh, West Germany, and they kind of have like this different sort of memory of growing up. Yeah, and I think that's a common story because I have a lot of friends in Germany where that are my age or a bit younger, maybe maybe a bit older, and it's kind of sometimes these things come into conversation about like how they. You know, well, I was living in East Germany, and then we we left because my dad somehow managed to get out and get a job in like Munich or something. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting when you, these you kind of find out about these things, and obviously when you're traveling for music or otherwise, and you meet people, you kind of hear more s- stories from the actual people that were there rather than through like a filter or whatever. So. And I think when you know we become more worldly via traveling. Uh, Mm -hmm. especially uh, through the microcosm of a music scene, Mm -hmm. we we really find that we're we're really, truly not that dissimilar. When, you know, you get into these situations Mm -hmm. where where you're speaking to people on on the same level, you're on a level playing field. Um, There's no classism coming in to the equation. You're just like, human experience upon human experience and and you really listen without interjecting or or even trying to uh feign empathy Mm -hmm. and you just listen to a person's story Uh, you you find out that sadly these these struggles and these these uh you know horrible things that happen to other people in countries that are not you know, in Canada, the United States, uh, North America, man, like we had it so simple. Oh yeah, definitely. Like, Like, so I always think about that every day. That's probably one reason I, even though relative to myself, I might have stressful times or things that I don't think are going well for me. And I'm like, well, at least I'm still fucking alive and I'm not like, I've actually probably lived in probably like one of the better situations one could be in comparative to the rest of the world. So it's nothing really 
really to complain about and it kind of shifts stuff into perspective and obviously there's a more cosmic viewpoint of like well i'm just like a speck in the <laughs> world billions of galaxies and no one fucking cares <laughs> what do you mean this latte <laughs> doesn't come with caramel <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so let's let's kind of put a fine point on the album no if you okay. were to if you were to uh encounter someone who is a relative stranger to your musical output mm -hmm. and you and you were taxed with the question as we've all been as musicians well, what mm. kind of music are you playing what's it like how would you respond to this person who was like mostly ignorant to your scene or output? I'm a bit cheeky nowadays. Some people I just go, it's electronic pop music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, just like, like I'm a, a beat combo playing electronic. Then <laughs> they're envisioning like, like, like fat boy slim or, or Moby. Like, you know, obviously, when I say that, sometimes the conversation will then move on to, like, what do you like to listen to? And then I'll kind of rattle off a very disassociated set of bands. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, like, and then that kind of burst the, the bubble of what they were expecting electronic, electronic pop music to be. But no, I like that. It's cheeky. I don't know. I mean, but, it's, it's kind of hard because, like, obviously, when I'm... I use dark wave and stuff a lot, if anything, just for the fact that it, in this world of like pegging stuff, like it's just probably the arguably the most sort of self descriptive, but even it just kind of, it's like a blanket term, right? So, it, but, but it's inclassifiable. And that's yeah. what I, I like about the idea of, of one considering themselves dark wave. Mm -hmm. And and like Lycia constantly comes up because a I love them and b they were like inarguably one of the best to ever do it, mm -hmm. but they were the even if you were to call them dark wave and then listen to them like they're not really dark wave they're really like bleak. Oh, yeah, it's, it's such a broad genre. Even yeah, that so like synth wave kind of connotates. I sometimes use that, but it connotates this sort of like that in itself is an actual genre now, which, you know, a lot of like those neon kind of grids and shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like with like, like palm trees, like much like sort of like an early 90s Super Nintendo racing game or something. Yeah. But yeah, like, like sight bike in here. What's yeah. going on? I sometimes use like electronic post punk because I played punk. This is post that. It's yeah. electronic. <laughs> yeah. If you like, when if you were to talk to Mike from Lycia and mm -hmm. tell him what what do you consider yourself? It's, it's punk. It's still yeah. just it's still just punk to him. It's still just punk to these people. Yeah, and it's just like obviously, it's it's obviously like that's their influence, really. Like, yeah, the same energy there, maybe when they were younger right you know probably playing more punk style music they're still applying that but just being more 
adventurous and trying new things. So yeah, I can totally see how that works. But obviously, from a quote unquote marketing point of view, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because because everyone needs to be didactic. But in yeah. truth, all all of us who were influenced by everything from the Clash and the Sex Pistols to Black Flag to Gorilla Biscuits, mm -hmm. we are still be it hardcore, be it traditional, it's all still punk. Oh, yeah, definitely. I totally agree and, with you there. Like, I still, as I said, touched on this interview before, when I'm doing the music I do now, I'm still very informed by, like, this long sort of comet tale that comes from that whole scene I was involved in the 90s. Like, some of that aesthetic and decisions about how I write stuff are informed by that genre, even though, like, I've been especially since I moved to the UK, I've been relatively detached to it for quite a while in terms of like participating in it, I suppose. Yeah. But you're never going to not be a punk is my point. Yeah, exactly. I'm yeah. never going to not be a punk. What we do, like this is a podcast, but this yeah. is still a fucking yeah. fans. It's I, still a no punk. I got a hedge funds and a, and a Range Rover <laughs> <laughs> and a yacht. So see you later. The truth of the matter, though, is, is it's all still punk rock. You can no, call it uh, post-punk, yeah. it's still punk. You can call it goth, it's still punk, because Christian Death was still just a fucking L.A. hardcore yeah, band. Yeah, uh, only theater of pain. That's still, that's a pretty punk-sounding record. Look at who played on it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. members of the adolescents were on that record. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's a fucking punk record. Yeah. No matter what it sounds like, it's the spirit in which it was completed and executed. Mm -hmm. Punk rock. The way you still do things, no matter how it sounds, no matter how pop one could construe it as, and it's not pop mm -hmm. in my eyes, uh, it, it's still great rock based electronic music. It, yeah, it, it's I think, punk. Yeah. It's fucking I would, yeah. punk. Punk, post-punk, whatever. This is like, yeah, that kind of applies. I'm still, as I said, I still thinking it's coming from a hardcore punk place. So yeah, very much so. The VS was the no, VSS a hardcore band? Yes. Yeah, for sure. And, and they were just like trying something new with it, right? Yeah, yeah. So how are you not a hardcore band? Yeah, you are. Exactly. You are. Of course, hardcore. you are. Yeah. Of course you are. We will never... Don't deny it. You're a hardcore band. <laughs> that's it. You're not a metal band. You're a hardcore yeah. band. And, and it, that's beautiful. And I, I love that about what we all continue to give to the scene that had given us so much. And, and as long as we feed that, it will continue to pay dividends and feed us. That yeah, is and the, then the younger kids will get to have their own version of punk it might be a different group of bands and a different structure but you know then then they'll go off and continue their adventure with music as well so yeah and i'll always i will always and i promise this be uh, a cheerleader for that even if i don't like the way it sounds but somehow i still do yeah i because think i mean I, there's a lot of music i listen to where I, if I'm in the right mood or if I'm looking for certain things rather than just pure ecstatic enjoyment, I'll find something interesting, even in bands I 
don't say I really like. <laughs> but like, I, like, they've got a great drummer, you know, like things like that. I mean, if if Gorilla Biscuits are as great as I feel, I always felt they were mm -hmm. as a punk band. I still think Skinny Puppy is just as punk. I still oh, think yeah. Killing Joke is obviously yeah. just as punk. I still think Slayer is just as punk. There's there are threads that stitch these things together that make mm -hmm. them as disparate as they may sound in comparison familial. And, yeah, of and, course. And, and, and common and, thread running through all of them, right? So yes, and yeah. and and what you do is no different. And I think it's a credit to what you do that you don't just throw shit at a wall. It has intention. It has intention and it, it's still tuneful in its almost chaotic nature. It's not contrived. It's well-crafted, well-written, well-executed. And I have loved it from when it first happened until now. Thank but you. It's, I know what to say. It, <laughs> I, I almost feel like I'm cheating on your early records to say this, but this is the best you've ever been. Okay, well, that's, that's good. As, yeah, as I said, it was the one I was, didn't even like when I first heard it, so that's encouraging. The, you know something? Sometimes the songs that you don't like are the ones that, upon further listening, become your favorites. Oh, yeah, no, that changes all the time. There's some things that I'll reevaluate that I've done. I was like, that's actually pretty good. Or even might be that could, that actually had potential, but I did this thing wrong with it, you know? Right. Because but, like, I mean, I, I look back at what I did for more about informing about how to go forward without referencing that, what I did in the past, if that makes sense. Oh, of course. Of course yeah. it makes sense. But I'm, but I'm a musician, so. Yeah. Exactly. Um, if you were to leave my listening audience with anything tonight uh, to kind of give them a, a signpost as to, as to what your journey has been in this thing, in this scene, in this endeavor, in, in creating music, what would it be? Um, it's always, I think it's about, for me, the journey has been about Meeting new people that kind of provide ideas for your lives, expanding your boundaries and listening to things and finding connectivity between them. Obviously, for me, it's like a lot of it's been like different media as well, like bringing in stuff to the music that's not necessarily just music. That's yeah. been very important for me. Like this might be a feeling or an interaction you had with somebody that maybe inspired so I just bring everything into the table and just don't be afraid to try new stuff based on new sort of sources of inspiration. That's maybe what I could sum up in a nutshell at this time. You know, you know, as I'm saying, yeah. this, kind of going through this like super hyper frame flashback of everything I've done, but those are like some key touch points, right? And, and, and to kind of like sum up those key touch points, having made a life that is ensconced is completely like transposed by the arts. Everything you do is informed by artistic 
impulse. Yeah. How do you continue to bring something new in 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 kind of like parlance to that? Because every everything every everything that you do, I think, is artistic. I think to me, it's like like doing like yeah, video, graphic design, music. I think it's always just having an interest in observing things and because music. even like you even do your music like videos really yeah i've been doing i do my all my own music videos and i've even i sometimes do videos with a friend of mine here she does a lot of analog video synthesis and we do videos for other bands i'm not sure if you're familiar with that band she passed away you're very familiar we very familiar for them like one was like a boy harsher remix and the other was a softening yeah. remix so that just kind of like is like exercising obviously because i'm a film buff that kind of stuff interests me so it's just like and then i take stuff i learned from matt and go this might work musically or you know like so like you're trying all these different trades and they kind of influence each other i you know like even doing like artwork you're like somehow those techniques might apply to producing music or even cooking dinner <laughs> <laughs> stuff completely more like what people would consider more mundane endeavors i guess so well the the beauties in the the devil yeah, in the details but the beauties there too oh and yeah for sure i'm not i'm not trying to drag this out but i'm having a blast with you um as a film lover film buff um i too am in that boat and i'm a massive giallo and an italian horror aficionado Mm -hmm. um, who's your favorite Italian horror director? Uh, probably, you know, obviously, like, probably Argento. I mean, Profondo Rosso's or Deep, Deep Red is... Deep Red, yeah. I mean, that's probably one of my favorites because I, I went through a phase about a year or so ago where I was, like, bulk-watching all this... Uh, giallo as well as like uh, italian crime thrillers from that maybe slightly different of that same period and there's mm -hmm. a there's a few like little little other blips like the perfume of the lady in black is pretty yeah. interesting that was a fantastic weird yeah there's a lot of that one just kind of goes down a weird sort of like psychedelic wormhole <laughs> Well, I mean, and, and the reason why I ask is, you know, it's for me, it's always Argento and Fulci, Argento and Fulci, because mm -hmm. Fulci is an absurdist and, and, and is really visceral and, and oh, yeah. sure, brutal yeah. in a way that Argento mm -hmm. tried to be, but he was always more Disney oriented with his color palette and making things very colorful and mm -hmm. very spectacle, whereas Fulci was very grimy and 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 apocalyptic uh yeah. but argento followed in the footsteps of a band that you and i both reference and love which is tangerine dream he, oh yeah, yeah he had like even with the soundtracks by goblin were very very prog oriented very uh beyond psychedelic mm. more more uh cerebral more more like legitimate lsd trips and not oh in, yeah, yeah no, not in a grateful dead way but in a uh 
like I, I accidentally took speed along with this this uh, you know tab of acid and it, and it made it go very dark. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that you're in for the ride there. <laughs> I, I I think the hallmark of, crea- of a creative also is someone who can allow themselves to take a journey like you know something like Suspiria or Profondo Rosso and 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 allow it to affect you and not try to pick it apart more yeah sometimes like take sometimes the ride pick apart a film but in a really weird angle like a lot of things i like to do is make comparisons between two films that might seem on the surface unrelated mm-hmm. um, I, I do some writings on my websites about on my website about film as well honestly i haven't done it for a while because i think i think my problem is i've watched so many films now like trying to go back and like which one should i write about next i'm like fucking hell i don't even know (laughs) hundreds of them but maybe it's like more of a winter project i'll get back into it but i've done you know sometimes i'll observe a film and how it connects to like a this different topic so i might feel more inspired to write about something if i have a different angle that hasn't really been written about before if that makes sense no yeah like i did this like i did this um write up on the you know that film the keep oh very very familiar i did this one that was kind of like how it was tying in with like at the about early 2010s with bands i don't know if you're familiar these bands like gatekeeper oh very yeah white car like this sort of like Humbler sort of aesthetic in like mm. bands that were kind of referencing these sort of 80s horror films at the time. Mm-hmm. So I kind of did a little write up about that because I, I really like that film, although it's insanely flawed. It's insanely flawed, but conceptually, it's actually very terrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> and um, I think the one of the reasons it was flawed because A, it was um, packed to death by the studio because I think. Yeah. It, original cut was like three hours and i think the second reason was that the uh, the sort of the secret weapon of the production crew the um the uh special effects guy died like two yeah. weeks in the production like well i don't know how he was gonna do that shit <laughs> so they just like they kind of had to, i think they might have either a had to get someone that wasn't on board with the same vision or just use whatever scraps on the floor i mean when you watch the film like there's some weird awkward plot cuts and stuff yeah for those two reasons but it's still like very atmospheric and i think it's probably one of my favorite tangerine dream soundtracks for sure yeah yeah i mean when you consider everything that they'd done Mm -hmm. um that was definitely one of the darker turns they'd uh taken uh, even though they were involved, I think with, it's funny as we're talking about this how they did risky business with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the, but the, but then like the, they they took their turns with like David Lynch's Dune, and um, oh god, what, what uh, Argento film did they work on? I'm not really sure. I mean, like they, it's kind of weird. Obviously, they did stuff for Legend. This kind of funny. Yeah, Legend. Yep. Legend, like, is one of the few cases where the American soundtrack is more artsy than the European one. Because I remember yeah. I was watching it here years ago with at a friend's house, and I was like, 
I've seen it tons of times. It's kind of fluffy movie or whatever, but I watched it. It's like, there's something fucked with this version. And then I realized it was the score was completely more standard or orchestral score. Mm-hmm. And this is the European version, but the uh, American version had Tangerine Dream soundtrack. And I think the last song on the legend, uh, the American version legend is John Anderson from Yes with Tangerine Dream, I think. And then the Amer- the European version has a Brian Ferry track at the end. Yeah, which I'm not going to shit on Brian Ferry because... No, I'm not going to shit on Brian Ferry. I'm just like comparing the fact that they're very different. Yo, v- vastly. And I'm wondering yeah. why they did that. I wonder if it was like a licensing thing or if... I think I it had... Think- it had to do with Brian Ferry's popularity at the time in Europe, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, no, I, think that, I think both tracks at the end of the film are quite suiting, but it's just interesting how, like, the American soundtrack went for this more synthy Tangerine Dream score. I mean, they were doing a lot of American movies at the time. Yeah. And, and they completely uh, did their own thing on mm-hmm. every single solitary one i always defend tangerine dream as being like this gene stroke of genius Mm -hmm. although some of their own work (laughs) some of it i really like and some of it is yeah i mean i think that's i think that's natural for artists um Sure. It's kind of, I had a conversation with someone who was like, I kind of like bands that have hit or misses too, or like where the, or at least where the records that have a different color to them. Yeah. Yeah. Very like, much. Oh, so. yeah, all the records are great, except for that one's kind of weird. And then the other person will be like, oh, I actually really like that record, but I think that record's fucking dumb. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's I think it's great when like, you know, or bands might take a misstep. You get it a bit less now because, uh, I think bands maybe tend to stick to their genre more for the sake of retaining an audience that takes a long time to get anyway. Yeah. But back in the day when like some guy with a cigar chomping record exec was just like, here's 200 grand, go make a record. <laughs> like, guys, I bought a, you know, like I bought a sitar and a timpani. Let's go try this out in the next record, you know? <laughs> So yeah, but even now I think there's bands, not to say that bands don't take those weird shifts anymore. I think there's plenty of newer bands that are probably like, this record we did something totally different. But it's it's always interesting when a band continues and they have what one person might see is like, this these three records are great, this one's terrible, you yeah. know. But then that one's great, but then someone else has a different viewpoint entirely. Yeah, and you never see that uh, uh, when when you consider stuff that becomes canon, right? Mm-hmm. Like like true canon in our scene specifically, Agnostic mm-hmm. Front only had one record that stepped out of its lane, and that's only because it became more oi punk because they were on Epitaph Records under uh, Lars from Rancid, and mm-hmm. they, tr- they tried to make an oi record and. People kind of liked it, but it, it wasn't really like where, where's where's one voice, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's when it gets kind of hippie where it it really makes for conversation, almost yeah. in my opinion, you know. Uh, the psychedelic stuff will always like divide an audience. Where like maybe from bands from the first generation of punk, they put out one or two records that are more 
punk <laughs> and then they do a, a few records after that where they try to branch out to be more experimental and sandinista fuck with, fuck with it with the tempos yeah yeah exactly there's an example or even like what was that that band decroitzen decroitzen yeah yeah they like went from being very heavy that uh yeah like super like like really fast and then they kind of got even like later records were like you know kind of more in two with maybe so like the 80s alternative guitar bands in the uk at the time you know yeah. and you know maybe in a bit of acoustic in there once in a while you know like so you know like that's like a classic trope of you know the band starts out punk starts getting a little branching their wings a bit and that will always divide some people like oh no i like their punk era i like their like you know their goth era whatever you know yeah, The but Damned, there's a great example. Oh, yeah, Damned, great example for sure, yeah. But, like, there's always the other example of, like, SSD. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm but not then, as familiar with their stuff, but I think, like... But they, they were, like, the Bostonian, uh, like, straight-edge band, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then they go into their, like, skate rock metal thrash era mm -hmm. and and completely alienate everyone and when you listen to a and b they're really both fucking awesome at what they're doing but they're so dissimilar it always struck me that people are never that they, they never just take the ride and say okay they're both good but one's acceptable to my circle and one's not these things might change with someone's taste in music too. Like I know yeah. I've definitely evolved and am still keep evolving. Like my taste is broadened, not because I didn't like some of it's because I didn't appreciate it when I was younger, but some of it's just because like I haven't actually gotten around to listening to it yet. And then you discover that, wow, this is fucking amazing. You know, like, why didn't I know? Like I have like a really, I have a secret love for a lot of like that sort of, 80s electro funk i love that shit i like, love that like shit. the system and yeah. like uh all those parliament side projects and oh yeah you kind of go down the rabbit hole like zap and roger and stuff like mm -hmm. that like i, I kind of really got into those because you could tell all those people in those bands were like just actually this is like before midi so those crazy kind of bass lines that was all done yeah. by hand and stuff and it's like wow that's so crazy and like there's a lot of weird sophistication going in that music that maybe synth pop, like especially from the UK at that time, didn't really touch on. Like there's a lot of like more interesting grooves going on. That's what I really loved about people, even though Africa Bambada is a pretty divisive character when you mm -hmm. consider what he's been uh, accused of sexually. Yeah. But, but musically, you're you're talking about a person that was involved with the writing of the Blue Oyster Cult Godzilla. <laughs> I didn't know that fact. Yes, yes. He learns something new every day. Africa Bambata is and 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 like he's at you know part one of hip hop. Mm -hmm. He really is like a, a big part of that. And what did he sample? The album Autobahn. That that does not surprise me. I think a lot of those early Hip hop guys were totally into a lot of that stuff, like craft work and yeah. electronic stuff going on at the time. It seems to me that seems like a total natural progression, really. 
but but to to take into consideration someone who's that renaissance with music mm-hmm. and, and to not be accepting of something that goes completely off the map to mm-hmm. me it, it informs me that you're tone deaf or just lost <laughs> i don't know oh yeah, yeah. For sure, definitely yeah but like i mean there's like yeah there's just i think like even now like there's like going back in time in the conversation that book you know with stupid about cranky records i've actually been kind of reevaluating some stuff i kind of passed at the time not because i didn't like it it's just because i was busy listening to other stuff like even about like tortoise or something yeah like it's like at maybe at the time i thought it was a bit clinical for my taste because i would have been what like 19 20 mm-hmm. but then you realize that they're just really good musicians because they're all swapping around all the time and you know they're obviously a bunch of people friends that were like let's just make some cool music and you know i'll play drums in this song and you play bass in this song and you know it's kind of interesting and like reading that book like how everybody just kind of participate in each other's recordings or whatever it's kind of a nice little community vibe going on there so yeah i just like and like a lot of stuff i might discover new music because i pick one musician and and i do this with acting talent too where i was like oh this person let's say someone like Susanna york like what other movies has she been in and then you start finding all these weird ones like that's how i found like i guess that film images by robert altman oh god that's a weird one yeah but you're going on track for that it's done by john williams who did um obviously star wars Star Wars, yeah but his soundtrack this it's like really like bowed metal and just like weird clinky metallic sounds it's really strange strange soundtrack and just the film itself is like really bizarre mm. it's it's fun mm. though like when you consider people like that uh, mm. i always go back to morricone because to me no one could kind of like transmute between the spaghetti western to like a, a giallo horror mm-hmm. quite as easily and and with the dexterity that he did um and still make it very impactful and 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 you know almost a, like the film could not have possibly done without this score you know oh, yeah. I, th- I, I think more iconic definitely i think like I mean, there was obviously other composers in that time, but he definitely put a sort of a very heavy-handed output with a lot of that soundtracks that came out at the time. And and I'm I was just impressed. Like you know, you look at like the discography, and it's like, man, you're just like film after film after film. I mean, there's obviously probably newer sort of musicians that are doing soundtracks but i think it'd be a lot harder nowadays to get the opportunity to like hey kid you want to do 30 films <laughs> you know like i think it's also just because there's probably like so many more musicians nowadays that have an interest in doing soundtracks so there's like it's not going to be one particular or one small group of musicians monopolizing like the sort of the landscape for, especially when it comes to independent films or whatever, because there's always 
so much talent to choose from, really. So, but imagine the bandwidth to cover that that vast of a swath of territory, you yeah. know, and uh, to kind of like tie it back into you and sort of like maybe wrap it up a little bit. Yeah, I think you always had scope in so much as the change in soft riot from stem to stern. Yeah. Um, the, the sound changed dramatically. No, I, I have noticed that and like, but like, it stayed, it stayed like the spirit was. Oh yeah, for sure. There the same. Like a lot of people out of, would have seen me like 10 play 10 years ago and they'll see me people are like you're like a completely different thing now it's like well that's called evolution <laughs> yeah that's that's called if that didn't happen maybe bashing rocks and caves and trying to make a fire unsuccessfully so <laughs> well that's a testament to human maturation that's what yeah, we're yeah, supposed yeah. to do is evolve become our better the angels of our better nature for lack mm -hmm. of a better term mm -hmm. and 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 you've done it with an aplomb and, and a dexterity and, and of almost virtuosity that very few people, very few artists that come to mind have made such a massive shift so perfectly. And so, uh, effortlessly in, uh, in sound that, it, it, it's actually sort of incredible to me. And, and it's been a fun ride for me as a listener. Okay. Well, that's, I'm glad that behold. you're picking up in it. Cause like, I mean, like obviously there for me, it's like a lot of effort and sort of consideration is put into yeah. the music. Like I'm not someone that, I mean, I'll, I can get finicky about sounds, but I, I'm, I'm not going to go all Chinese democracy in any of my records. <laughs> and, and, that's kind of my point. Yeah. I, no I know when to stop. Like, I'm like, that's enough. I kind of gotten to where I need to go with that. And it's, it's close enough for me. Right. So the, the progression is, oh. it, it is so obvious, not, not unnatural, not uh, mm -hmm. shark jumping at any point. Yeah. As, yeah, to, yeah. as to be Fonzie, <laughs> it, it really gets incremental in a way. Like, we're, we're at point A, and the shift happens very naturally over this short period of time, but then we get to B, C, D. And, yeah, some and records you, shift more than others, but that's just like... That's, that's human. Exactly. So you, you go from this being point Z to the beginning being point A. If, mm -hmm. you, if you take the journey in chronology, it really is a tactile progression in, 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 yeah. in songwriting yeah. and that is so much fun as as a listener and a fan that i i really that if there was any point like like really prescient point to this conversation it was to sort of applaud you for how far you've taken this in a decade yeah i know i'm like surprised myself like when you're writing like writing out the press release of the record, like the 10th album. I'm like, really? Oh my fucking Led Zeppelin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just like, I'm just making that statement just because like any project, I mean, obviously it's a lot easier to do when you're a solo artist, but prior to that, like any bands I was in would maybe release like three or four records. So it's kind of an interesting place to be in too, where you're at 10 records and you're still 
thinking about going the next one it's like it's a first for me and i've been doing it for this long so i'm as i said before i'm just happy i still have ideas and people are some people are listening and then i get i'm still excited about new ideas so uh, that's like half the battle right there really and 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 for you to be able to you know say that i'm excited about this next thing and i'm already ready for this next thing god who, who's who's really saying that right now who's out there being that active and and releasing at such a vast clip well and i don't think it's going to come out it'll take a while but i as but yeah just the fact that i know where i was going is like paints a nice sort of path to the next direction i guess yeah yeah for sure so i think with that i will because uh, we've been at it for three hours yeah i know this has been an effortless uh very fun and very yes, inspiring a super fun conversation and it, it, as i said especially since i was going into it's like i don't know if i'm going to be able to do this but like i find you really natural talk to we have a a lot of talking points and it was just as i said organically just took its direction so yeah and 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 uh, as a credit to you i never go into these conversations with an agenda okay i feel people out to see who they are and if i have chemistry with them seriously i thank you so much and obviously him at sweet cheetah for making the connection and it was actually yes. really interesting knowing that you'd actually seen me play before a long yes time in in vancouver nonetheless so. in vancouver on a on a uh, uh you know pilgrimage uh yeah. north to have seen you but when the next record is is ready to come will you come back and kind of do this again and go down another rabbit hole with me oh yeah totally after that no this was like totally like organic conversation and went so many interesting insightful directions i had a great time yeah me too man and uh yeah. i'm i'm glad we got to meet like this and i can't wait to do it again okay thank you so much peter it's been a really good time and i'm gonna like uh conclude with a light beverage and then probably lay my head down and let you get on with the rest of your... What time is it there? It's like 11.30, I'm guessing? 11, 11.30, yeah. Well, I guess you know how much your day left, but allow you to conclude your evening as well, I guess. So, Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. We'll talk soon. Please do. Ciao for now. Ciao Bye. for now, my friend. Bye-bye. And there you have it, my friends. My discussion with Jack. Part two. We had... An incredibly fun time uh as you'd heard uh we're gonna do it again when the next record is ready to come down the pike i look forward to that um i look forward to holding the record in my hand which i should be doing very soon so next week will be the 100th episode we will have mike and tara from lycia respectively uh we will have mike performing live just for us we will have so many silly wonderful incredible things for you uh i can't believe it's been 100 episodes i am 
over the moon. Uh, and it's all because of you all. So I thank you for that. I thank Jack. I thank Tim. Uh, I have so many people that I'm going to list next week that were instrumental in the building of this show. Michael Malarkey, uh, Damian Moyal, uh, so many wonderful people. But we'll get into that in one week's time. Until then, he's been Jack Safride. I've been Peter. You've been beautiful. And this has been the book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. I love you all. Be well. And listen to Soft Riot. No. Good night.